of a series we started three, four weeks ago called The Pursuit of Happiness. Sorry, scratch that. The Pursuit of Holiness, right? And the, the idea that we're trying to learn is that we're so busy trying to be happy and we'll do whatever we can to bring happiness to our lives. You know, one person said it's our, it's our homes, it's our hobbies, and it's our holidays. And that's what we live for. And if all those things are going well, then we're happy. And those are kind of our main concerns. You know, how's the home running? How's the family? How's everything running at home? It's running good? Okay, I'm happy. How are your hobbies? You know, that'll make you happy. What about your holidays? Where did you go? What did you do? And we find happiness in these things. And these things are not bad things, of course, but they're temporary things. And so what the Bible would, would, would teach us is that, well, you can get happiness, which will last you only this long, or you can find something even deeper if you pursue, first and foremost, holiness rather than happiness. So you'll, if you really want to be happy, you really want to find joy, you really want to find something that's everlasting, what you really need to pursue is holiness, right? And so in the first week, we talked about trying to define this, uh, holiness being morally blameless. If you look at the Bible's definition, separated from sin, consecrated to God. You know, often when we think of this word holiness, we think of, you know, popes and Mother Teresa and monks and all these kinds of super religious people. But we don't think of you and me in a practical sense. But the Bible would want it to be practical. And we talked about three problems of people trying to live a holy life today. You know, we get on this broken record where we try to live for God and then we keep doing the same thing over and over again. We keep, there's the same sin pattern in our life. There's no real transformation in our life. We say, what's wrong? What's wrong? We talked about three problems. And oftentimes we can be self-centered rather than God-centered. So, you know, a lot of times we, we think about victory. Are you having victory? Are you winning the battle? You know, well, what about just flat out being obedient to God, why don't we try that instead? Instead of focusing on whether we're winning or whether we're losing, we talked about a misunderstanding of, of what living by faith is. So, do we, when we believe in Jesus, do we have to do anything, or is there just some sort of magic button that just kind of cleans our life up? Uh, we talked about categorizing sin, which we often do. We think of big sins and we think of little sins. And usually the little sins are the ones we do the most, and the big sins are the ones that everybody else does, right? And we have these kind of constructs in the church life as to what we think big sin is and what we think small sin is. Uh, but God, to, to God, it's all sin. It's all ugly to God. Um, and then the next week after that, we talked about the, the holiness of God and how it's not cultural, how it's not uncertain, how it's not hesitant, how it's not inconsistent. You know, our understanding of holiness is all these things, but God's isn't. And, and the holiness of God, he is perfectly holy. Uh, there is no evil in God whatsoever. There's no, no uh, inconsistency in him, uh, no, no uh, um, imperfection in him. It is the crown of his nature, his holiness. If you go to the next slide, my phone... Has, oh, it's come to life. Okay, good. 
Um, uh, we talked about whether or not holiness is a source of comfort or condemnation using the story, the old story in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, and it can be a source of comfort for those of us who are in Christ, but those of us, of us who are outside and, uh, you know, we're not at that point of belief, it can actually be a source of condemnation. We talked about how holiness is not optional and two different kinds of holiness that we see in the Scripture we're positionally holy because of what Christ has done, but there's a day-to-day lifestyle that we have to live. And we finished. I didn't. I didn't talk about this. Um, I didn't finish it in the in the last message. You know the saying that we have, and we use it in church circles all the time: God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Right? How many of you believe that? Yeah, I, I think that's true. God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Uh, But the problem is that you can't separate those two, right? Who does the sinning? The the, the sinner does. So if if God hates the sin and loves the sinner, well, what's he going to do with the sinner, though? You see, so you you can't really separate those two and make it all clean and nice and tidy because there's someone who commits the sin. And we see in Genesis 39.9 there the story of Joseph and how when Joseph was tempted to, to effectively sleep with his boss's wife, um, he said to himself, how can I do such a thing, such a wicked thing, and sin against God? Not against his boss or against his boss's wife, but first and foremost, against God. So today, we're going to talk about a very probably unpopular subject, I would think. Uh, we're going to talk about the place of personal discipline in holiness <laughs> okay you can all you can all leave now if you want to all right the, the place of personal discipline i don't know if any of you have tried it okay i have tried it and i've been trying it for 25 plus years when you really try to live for god and you really say god i want to put you first i want to live a holy life i want to live by what the scripture says i want to be a real Christian, you will find it to be difficult. How many of you would agree with me there? Yeah, it is not an easy thing, particularly when you have all these competing forces that seem to be against that, right? I mean, it's not as if the culture at large is encouraging you to live for God and follow the Bible. Probably it's telling you to do the opposite more than that in itself. And when you try and you think about holiness, you will see that there's no magic button that you push that somehow your life is all fixed up now. There's no magic button for daily holiness. So again, when a person comes to Christ and a person believes and the 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 faith light on the dashboard is turned on as i like to say so when that happens god looks at the person and in a positional sense he says that person is clean that person is holy and he does not hold that person in condemnation for their sin how many of you are thankful for the work of Jesus on the cross that does that for us. It makes us clean. We don't have to do anything. It's a gift that we receive. However, we still have to live our lives here on planet Earth, yes? And so from that time until the time we meet God face to face, we're going through a process of trying to learn to live for him. 
And when it comes to trying to live for him and trying to live a holy life, trying to pursue holiness, you will find there's no magic button. Sometimes there are things that God, by his grace and by his power, he will clean up for you. And he will, you know, I've heard stories of people and, you know, they, they came to Christ in a, in a period in their lives when they were addicted to something, alcohol perhaps. And the moment that they chose to serve Christ, the alcohol addiction, boom, was gone like that. I've met people who, who have had that experience. And yet those same people who have had that experience, there are other things in their lives that, they, that it, wasn't, it wasn't an instantaneous change. It was something that they had to continue to work on. Maybe it was their language. Maybe it was another part of their lifestyle. And they had to learn, oh, okay, I need to change this way of living according to the standard that God has. So I, I, I just want to encourage you when, you, when you become a Christian, if you find that, wow, you know, I don't, I don't feel any different. Like, I don't know if there's any change in my life. That's not abnormal. There are things that will change very quickly and things that will take a long time to change. You're not abnormal or strange, okay? Uh, but there's no magic button that you push and you say, well, take these three pills and now you'll be fine and, you know, everything will be fine and dandy. It doesn't really work like that. Uh, there is this idea of personal discipline when you're living a lifestyle of holiness, and this is where it starts to become important for you and here's the problem today we have a we have a christianity that we have kind of created and and massaged into our minds where it's more about how i'm doing it's more about the quality of my life it's more about, you know, I don't want to have difficulties or pain or problems in life. And Jesus is supposed to take them away. And so if I come to Jesus, then he will take away all of my problems. He will make life easier. After all, didn't he say, I have come to bring life and bring life to the full. So that must mean that my life will be easier. And if it's hard, there's something wrong. Uh, but it needs to be better, it needs to be easier, it needs to have more happiness in it, it needs to have all these positive things in it, and if it's not, there's something wrong with my life. The problem with that is when you look into the pages of the New Testament, you see almost the direct opposite. And what you see when you, when you look at the scripture is, it's not necessarily about how easy or how pleasant your life is, it's how are you living in whatever condition of life you're in. So, so much of the New Testament would have been read by people who were slaves. I mean, in the Roman Empire, this was like the most common thing where someone was owned by somebody else. So how many of you know that's not like a really nice living condition to be a slave? So, but that's the way that it was back then. It was very common back then. And it wasn't Paul and, and the writers of the New Testament weren't saying, well, you're a Christian now, so God's going to set you free from your present condition. It wasn't about that. It was God's going to set you free from your sin problem so that whatever condition of life you're in, whether you're suffering presently or whether you're not suffering presently, whatever your condition, regardless you can still have joy because you're living a holy life, you see. 
So it was in spite of your circumstance, you can serve the Lord and you can have joy, not because of your circumstance. And today we base so much of serving Jesus on our present circumstance as if we're never supposed to have problems. We're never supposed to have difficulties. It's never supposed to be hard. And, you know, when people believe that kind of thing, I'm telling you that this idea of personal discipline, it's forget it. That's foreign. OK, but this is what we see when we survey the scripture. Discipline is not legalism. How many of you know what legalism is when I say that word? Some people, you've grown up in a legalistic kind of understanding of what church is, right? In a legalistic uh, uh, church or, or faith community, it's all about the rules. So, you know, in a room like this, you'd have, all the, you'd have all the men on one side, you'd have all the women on the other side. Then never the two shall meet, even if they're married. The women sit here, the men sit here. And probably the women would have a, a covering over their head. And they would probably never speak or be allowed to speak. Um, they wouldn't wear pants. They wouldn't wear makeup. They wouldn't wear jewelry. They wouldn't cut their hair. Um, you, you had to be baptized in water, perhaps, to be considered a Christian. Or you had to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues. We'll discuss that at another time in order to be a Christian. Or, you know, you, you, if you're late for church, you're not really a Christian. That's, that's what sinners do. They're late for church, right? It's all about the rules. It's all about the do's and the don'ts. And if you do the do's and you don't do the don'ts, then you, you're accepted and you're part of the whole Christian thing. Okay, that's legalism, all right? And legalism is not what personal discipline is. But some people confuse the two. You will see when you read the New Testament that the, the main figures there, Paul and Peter, they opposed legalism like crazy. So back in that day, in that time, the legalistic folks were saying to the non-Hebrew folks who were coming to Christ, they would say to them, all these men, they have to be circumcised in order to be Christians. How many of you men, you'd be up for the challenge? Right, You have to have surgery on a rather sensitive part of your body in order to be a Christian. Right, That's legalism. And, well, they have to follow the law of Moses, you know, all 600 and some odd laws. They have to follow that, and the men have to be circumcised in order to be accepted. And Paul and Peter said, no, 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 no. It is by faith that they're saved, by faith in Christ and not by all of this legalism. So today it looks a little bit different, but the idea is the same. This is not what personal discipline is. Um, Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, in a couple of letters that he, he wrote to him. And here's what he says to Timothy, just kind of off the cuff. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths, or as he terms them, old wives' tales, he says, rather, train yourself, this is 1 Timothy 4 and 7, train yourself to be godly. So it's not automatic. It's not a magic button. You need to train yourself, um, Timothy, to be godly. There is training involved. And he's using language there that is like athletic language. How many of you like sports or watch sports on television? How many women like sports and watch sports on television? One. 
Okay, well, then, uh, then the two. Okay, so, so I have the audience of much of the men and only a few of the women. But anyway, I, am a, I, I like to watch sports. But the reason why I like to watch sports is because of the personal discipline that is required by these athletes. Right? And every couple of years, we get to watch them at the Olympics. I mean, the Olympics draw a huge amount of people on television to watch. And, you know, and the sports nuts like me, well, we'll watch sports all the time. And I, you know the sport that I like is, is, those of you who know me, I like baseball. And the reason why I like the sport of baseball is because baseball is for losers, okay? So, so, so just, just so you understand, you don't have to understand anything about baseball itself except you know that you have to hit that ball with that bat, yes? So they throw the ball and you got to hit it. So the superstars in the sport of baseball, the best that ever, ever played, Guess how many times out of 10 they hit that ball? Three. So they fail how many times out of 10? Seven. So 70% of the time you lose. It's a game for losers. You have to know how to lose. You have to know how to lose gracefully. And it is very much a psychological game. So, uh, so if anyone uh, sits down with me and we watch a baseball game together, I will tell you the psychology and the training involved in what's happening in the nuances of the game. So I will tell you the pitcher is going to throw such and such a pitch at this moment in order to deceive the batter because it's all about psychological deception. If you can fool that batter into thinking that you're going to throw one thing, but you, you change the speed or you, change, you put spin on the ball, then the batter will be fooled and he will become, as most of them are, losers. So it's a fascinating game to watch because you learn to see how do people lose. Do they lose gracefully or do they not lose gracefully? And you see the role of personal discipline and training when you watch a sport like that or really any other sport. And this is the kind of language that he's using. He's saying you need to have that kind of attitude if you really want to live a godly life. I found a definition of personal discipline in Webster's Dictionary. I think training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental facilities or the moral character. Oh, that's really, really good definition. It corrects, it molds, it perfects the mental facilities or the moral character. In other words, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have an easy life, but it means, okay, how am I reacting to this difficult situation? I mean, I believe that God is, is omnipotent, that God can do anything. God can heal broken bodies today. God can do the same kinds of miracles that he did today, that he, that he did in the pages of the Bible. I believe that. But I also believe that he doesn't do that all the time. Not in every situation and not all the time. And I've been in this rodeo, you know, uh, called Faith for a, a number of years now. And I've pastored for more than 17 years. And I can tell you that he does not do those things all the time in every situation in every life. But what we need to understand is, okay, God, if I'm in a crisis, if I'm in a situation of, of, uh, that is not easy, it's not about whether or not the crisis needs to go it's about how am I behaving in the crisis? 
How am I behaving in the stress at the job site? How am I behaving in the stress in this relationship or in my home or in my school or in my business? What is my attitude like? What is my what are my thoughts like? How am I behaving? Can I still serve Christ in this difficulty in life? And that's where personal discipline comes to mind. And guess how you get it? You get personal discipline first and foremost and really for most of your life from the book that God wrote. And this is why the Bible has to be a central piece in the life of the believer if they're going to get serious about living uh, a life that's free from sin. God's book is the primary tool for personal discipline. Again, Paul writing to Timothy there, he says, all scripture is God-breathed, so it is inspired by God. We use this term. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. It's useful for correcting and training, Paul says again to Timothy, in righteousness. It is the Bible. And this can be a scary thought for people because today the, the level of literacy of the Bible is kind of at an all-time low. But if you really want to experience the joy of the Christian life and you, you really want to know what it's like to serve God, and to be free from sin and to be more than happy, but to be holy, the only way that you're going to get there is through the scripture. And it works kind of like this. God wrote a book. We learn the book. He reminds us of what we learned and we apply it to our life. It's really, really simple. God wrote it. We learn it. He reminds us of it and we apply it to our life. And it becomes a daily kind of thing where the, the, the lenses of your the lens of your life is 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 the scripture. So like I'm looking through the, these glasses, if I take them off, I literally cannot see 15 feet in front of me. I can't tell what gender anybody is or I can't see faces, nothing. But if I put the I put the glasses on, ah, the lenses are working to correct all the problems in my lenses and my natural lenses and ah, I can see. And so that when you put the scripture on and you start seeing life through the scripture, then you can learn to live truly a godly life. But you have to learn it. And so I'm going to give you practical tips as we start finishing up here as to how you can get the Bible into your life in a practical way. Number one, you need a planned time. So how many of you, you brush your teeth every day? Come on, come on. Um, I hope all of you brush your teeth, you know, turn to your neighbor and with your coffee breath, you know what I'm saying? So, so all of you brush your teeth. I mean, but you have to make the time to brush your teeth. Yes. I mean, the toothbrush doesn't magically appear in your hand. You, 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 you have a routine. It's part of your routine and you make the time to do what you know you need to do. Because if you don't brush your teeth, your teeth are going to have major problems and your gums are going to have major problems. It's going to cost you a lot of money and a lot of pain. And so you say, well, I will learn to brush my teeth. And, you know, you learn when you're a little kid to brush your teeth and you do it every single day of your life. I mean, pretty well. And that, that's, that's, a, that's a habit that you develop. Well, any habit is the same. 
So if you're going to if you're going to develop the Bible in your life, you need to plan a time that you're going to read. And nowadays it's so easy to do this because of all the electronics that we have. And I've talked about this over and over again, but now you can get the Bible on your phone. Uh, you can get it for free. I mean, it used to be hundreds, even just hundreds of years ago, that if you had an actual copy of the Bible, let's say 500 years ago, I mean, that was rare to actually have it and to actually be able to know how to read it. And back in the time of the New Testament, you didn't have all, the, all this accessibility to what we now call the New Testament. It was still being written and circulated and all of that. And most of it people got from orally. So they heard it and that they believed it. And very few people, again, could even read back then in the main mainstream of, you know, first century Roman Empire. So today we have no excuse. I mean, we get, get it on our little tiny little phone. If we want, we can get a nice pretty paper Bible, you know, but you need to take time, plan time in your day to actually open it. And, you know, it's not just the thing that sits on your shelf that's a nice pretty little relic. Uh, there's nothing magic about it. You have to pick it up and you have to have a planned time. Sometimes it can be early in the morning for some people or it can be late at night or it can be, I mean, while you're driving in your car, you can listen to it now online. But find a rhythm that works for you, whatever it doesn't matter the time. It matters that you get a consistency where it is actually in your life. And then you need a method, a way of reading. And this is, again, very few people get there. But it's not just, well, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to start reading from the book of Genesis. All right. Can I just tell you that may be the worst way for a, a person in the modern world to read the Bible. It may be the worst way. Because when you read the book of Genesis, you are going to read all kinds of strange things. You're going to see these crazy families. You're going to see the way that they behave. You're going to have a billion questions. You're going to wonder, what about this? How this, this is, this seems like an insane time, place, culture. It may be the worst way to pick up the Bible and read from Genesis. Let me tell you a good way that will help you long term, you should start by reading the New Testament and don't even touch the Old Testament. So when I say New Testament, I'm talking about a very short portion of the Bible, 27 books. And usually in a Bible, you'll see a big chunk Old Testament. That's everything before the life of Jesus. That's why we call it Old Testament for just convention's sake. And then you'll see the New Testament. That's everything Jesus and after. You should start by reading the Jesus and after. And once you get through that, and it's really, really short, 27 very, very short books, once you get through that, read it again. And once you get through that, you can start picking away at the Old Testament because you'll have context for the Old Testament. If you have no context for the Old Testament, you are going to think God is a violent God. Uh, he's an angry God. I don't understand why this is this way. I don't understand how he's working with these people this way. I can't live this way. I can't do what these people did. I'm going to get arrested if I try and live by the rules of the Old Testament. You'll be thrown in jail 
okay? But if you read the New Testament first and then you start reading the Old Testament with the context, you will understand, ah, okay, it makes more sense to me. But regardless, you need a planned method, okay? And let me give you five different ways that people absorb the Bible into their life. Uh, the first is hearing, and you're hearing right now. So many people think, well, if I just go to church, and if I just listen to the preacher, and if he or she is any good, then that's all I need, you know? And, and that's, that's hearing. So Jeremiah uh, wrote before the Babylonian captivity, he wrote to the people, of what would happen after and the redemption that would happen. And he said, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and with understanding. This is what pastors do. And you're hearing it when you, when you come into a church context. You're hearing a shepherd. You're hearing someone who's trying to lead you and trying to give you understanding. But that is not enough. So if you're just a, you know, my Bible absorption is Sunday morning and that's it and that's all I need. Well, you're going to live a pretty anemic and frustrated Christian life if that's all you're going on. But many people try to do that. I'm just telling you, you're going to probably be frustrated with that approach. The next is reading. So Deuteronomy 17 um, and 19 this is for when Israel is going to settle into the promised land. Moses says about a king that the people will choose. This is really interesting if you think about modern day politics. Ha ha. And he's talking about the role of the scripture in the king's life. And he says it is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Imagine if world leaders actually did that. <laughs> and there are some world leaders who profess to be Christians who probably never, ever pick up the Bible and read it as Deuteronomy uh, advises there. But that's reading. That's when you pick it up and you start reading it. I'm not naming any names, okay? Uh, but you can think of modern-day politics if you choose. Uh, but this is when people actually pick it up and they start reading it for themselves. And then there is a level where you can call it studying the scripture. So Proverbs 2, this is Solomon writing to his, his son, if you will. Uh, really, it's to us all. My son, if you accept my words and you store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, Indeed, if you call out for insight and if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and you search for it as for a hidden treasure, then you will understand, my son, the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. When people study the Bible, they're digging into something. They're digging into a passage that they may find interesting or frustrating or applicable to their life. And they say, well, what does that really mean? I want to search deeper and I want to study this on a deeper level. And again, nowadays, there's no excuses for this. There's all kinds of free tools out there, even on the internet to help people study and get a deeper grip into the scripture and what it is teaching. And then there is something that is a lost art today called memorizing. Ah, uh, yes. So Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, verse 11. 
This is what uh, the writer says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is a this is poetic language for saying, well, he memorized the scripture. And this is a critical, critical um, uh, skill for you to learn. And when you memorize large chunks of scripture or even little things, little phrases, sometimes it doesn't even matter if you can find it, but it's, it's in your head somewhere, uh, that is going to affect the rest of your life because God will remind you of what you memorized, uh, what he wrote. And then there is a final level, and we can call this meditating, um, and I'm not confusing that with Eastern meditation, okay? Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, this is uh, uh, Moses' word uh, to Joshua, the young leader. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it. He is the, you know, the commander-in-chief, if you will, of the whole army of Israel. Meditate on it day and night, Joshua, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and you will be successful. Hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating. I meditate on the scripture while I'm doing other things. Um, I will toss around a verse of scripture in my head. I'll, I'll turn it around. I'll think about it in many different ways. I'll play with it. I'll meditate about it. Sometimes it's one sentence. Sometimes I can read one sentence, and that'll be enough to meditate on during the day while I'm doing other things. I will think about it. I will think about how does this apply to my life? In what way am I falling short? When you, when you read something in the scripture, you can ask yourself several questions. Um, what does this teach me? What can I learn from this, if anything? Where and how do I fall short in this particular area? What do I need to do to obey what I am learning? Uh, I skipped over a slide there. If you'll go back to it, um, yeah, that picture. So, so this is an illustration of everything that I've, that I've just gone through. On uh, Friday night, um, I was kind of privileged to attend a little meeting that took place, a couple of men in our church. One of them, he's brand new to our church, not here this morning, but brand new to our church and started coming because of the back to school bash. And he is a, a man who grew up in a Muslim nation and renounced his faith in Islam and was uh, intensely persecuted as a result and has come to Canada to start a new life fleeing persecution from his own family members. And uh, he has come to, to faith in Christ. He's brand new to the Bible, started coming to our church because we gave out a, you know, a free school bag to his, to his three children. And his wife and his three children are now you know, here in Quebec and starting a new life. And so he, he has a whole bunch of questions. And so what we did with him is we, we, we have this material, and I tried to see if this would go in a small group in our church. It didn't go at all, but there are two people who have done it individually. One person uh, has the books. It's three little books, and they're working on it on their own. And, and I, give, I gave a set of these books to this man, and it's three little volumes that really teach all of these things that I'm talking about. And, 
and he started it on Friday night, and he sat down with a man in our church, and they're looking at the scripture, and they're trying to figure out what it means, and what does this mean to me? How does this apply to my life? And I was amazed seeing how this man, I mean, as fresh as fresh could be, very, very little experience reading the Bible whatsoever. I was amazed at the insight that he had, and it was as if it was as if he could teach it, but he never read it. And it was evidence to me and to the, to the individuals in this room now who was working with that man, it was evidence to me of the clear work of the Holy Spirit in this man's life. I mean, it was stunning. It was like, how does he see that when he's never read it? <laughs> but it's clear that God, God is showing him and helping him to see things and rightly understand things that he's never even read. He's just experiencing all this fresh, fresh, fresh. But the material that he's going through, and he's going to be meeting with, with the individual who's in this room now and myself probably on and off over a long period of time going through all of this material and there's homework in it and there's memorization in it and there's studying in it and it's all these things that we're talking about but that he is so hungry to know more and to spend time with God and to become more and more Christ-like because it's so fresh and so new to him what does it teach me where do I fall short? What do I need to do to obey God in this area? I'll give you a, uh, an, an example as we start to finish up here. Maybe you're in the, in the workforce and you've got, uh, you've got a situation in your, in your job where there's some other individual there who seems to get all the breaks. They get the raises. They get the nicer office. Uh, they seem to have, and everything is going their way, and here you are, you're the Christian, you know, you're trying to live a holy life, you never get a raise, your office is the pits, the boss is mean to you, and you see this other person, and they're as pagan as pagan can be, and it seems like God is blessing them more than he's ever blessed you. Have any of you ever experienced that before? Okay, I'll put both my hands up there because I've seen that and experienced that, all right? And so what happens is you get, it starts with a J, jealous. Yeah, you get jealous. And you, you, you know the Bible says that you're not supposed to do that, right? You, you shouldn't be jealous and you shouldn't covet and all these things. And you say, oh, look, I'm such a terrible Christian, you know. That's not working for me. Christianity is no good. Look, I should be a pagan just like him. Everything's going well his way. It's not going my way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you run into a verse like, you know, thou shalt not covet and, you know, things about jealousy, so what do you do? You say, well, what does this teach me? It teaches me that I've got a problem <laughs> with jealousy. Where do I fall short? Well, I'm jealous of this person. Why? Why am I jealous of them? Why do I want what they have? What do I need to do to fix that? So maybe I need to start to pray for this person who I'm jealous of. Lord, I pray for this person. And, and Lord, I thank you that this person is doing well in the company. Ouch. You know what you're doing? You're doing personal discipline. You're training yourself to think differently and to think biblically about a situation that's affecting your personal life. And that is not easy to do 
But the more you do that and the more you do that kind of personal discipline, the more you will set yourself free from stuff like jealousy and all these kinds of things that can creep up in life that prevent you from living a holy life. And finally, finally, persevere. You are going to be doing this for the rest of your life, right? Until you, until you go behind the curtain, as it were, to meet God face to face, until you breathe your last breath on this earth, you're going to be learning to become more and more Christ-like. But you need to persevere. I was talking to another man in our church last week after we moved all of our, our gear over here to the hotel. I was talking to this, this fellow, and he, 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 we were having lunch together with a group of people, and he told us about his experience with smoking. And it used to be, you know, wow, even, even 15, 20 years ago, if anybody ever came into a church context and they had cigarette breath or whatever, people would ostracize them and say, what a terrible person, terrible sinner that person is. They need to clean their life up. Even 20 years ago, it was like that. Um, you know, do you know some of the great preachers smoked a pipe? Some of the greatest preachers of 200 years ago smoked a pipe like all the time, all right? It doesn't make it good. It's, it's a habit that's destructive, but some people did that, and so, you know, we need to learn not to throw stones at people. In any case, this fellow was telling a story of how he started to smoke in grade six, I think it was, and he, he tried and tried. It. He could not stop smoking until he was 30 years old. And, and so I found that really, really interesting because that's perseverance, you know. And he said, I tried. I tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. And, and I was talking to him and said, well, what worked? Like, how did you lick it, you know? I've, I never smoked ever, ever, ever in my life, thank God. I did other things, but I never smoked. But I have met people, and it is a very, very difficult habit to shake. And those of you who may be smokers in the room, you know how difficult it is. I don't think people really like it as much as it's something that's with them that they have to do. And I said to him, well, what was it that, that really broke it for you? And he said, you know, along the lines of, well, you know, I thought about being 80 years old and dying smoking, you know. And, and when I would get sick, it would just be worse because you get, it's a, when you get a cough, it's different when you're a smoker. And it, there was just, there was something that broke the camel's back, but he had to persevere and he had to keep going and he had to find another way and another solution. And finally something gave and something broke and he found, okay, now I haven't smoked since I, you know, turned 30, thank God. Uh, but that's the way it is in personal discipline. There are things that you're going to be working on for the rest of your life. And things that you will be learning to do with God's help through the scripture. But there is a place for it in your life. No magic buttons can be pushed. All right. Would you stand with me, please? We're just going to sing that chorus a couple of times before we close. To worship you, I live. Wow, you talk about personal discipline and that chorus. Uh, when we learn that worship is the first thing uh, that we need to be doing. And if we think about all of the things that we tend to worship in our life, you know, our homes and our hobbies and our holidays and the things that make us happy, 
uh, may we choose to worship God first and foremost as his word 